Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Wars are not often fought for trivial reasons. World War I started after the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria-Hungary, while World War II officially began after Hitler invaded Poland in 1939. Wars are messy for both sides, so a cause must be justified. That wasn't the case, however, when two Italian city-states went head-to-head in 1325. Their reason was uh, flimsy, nothing more than a drop in a bucket. Since 1125, medieval Italy had been a battleground between two factions, the Guelphs and the Ghibellines. The Guelphs supported the Pope, while the Ghibellines were on the side of the Holy Roman Empire, both of whom desired to rule over all Christendom. The Guelphs and the Ghibellines fought for over 300 years, during which time things came to a head between the capital city of Bologna and the municipality of Modena in northern Italy. This region was well-educated and well-off, But the surplus of money and high literacy rates didn't stop the two sides from fighting. The future of Christianity was at stake, as was the land between them. Bologna was firmly on the side of the Guelphs, while Modena was Ghibelline territory, and both regions fought regularly over their borders. One night, a group of Modenese soldiers crossed over into Bologna without anyone noticing. With no one around to fight and not wanting to stir up any trouble, they absconded with a bucket from a well in the middle of the city. It was made of oak with iron bands around it and a metal handle at the top. The next morning, the Bolognese people noticed the bucket missing and looked out, only to see it on full display by the enemy. They demanded it be returned at once, an order which the Modenese ignored. The bucket was now a trophy, a symbol of their superiority, and the Bolognese were out of options. With no other course of action available, Bologna declared war on Modena. The offended city raised an army of over 30,000 against Modena's paltry 7,000 men. To make matters worse for the Modenese, they were stuck on flat ground while the Bolognese surrounded them from a higher ground. And yet, despite their weaker numbers and disadvantaged position, Modena's army fought valiantly, pushing back against Bologna's forces and forcing them to retreat. As the Bolognese fled back to their home territory with their tails between their legs and no bucket, Modena was close behind. They weren't about to let victory go to waste. They attacked Bologna, tearing down castles and restricting its water supply, but that was about all they did. Rather than burn the city to the ground, Modenese soldiers chose instead to carry out a humiliating display of athletic prowess just outside its walls, an act that was meant to shame the Bolognese for their defeat. Modena also stole another bucket. About 3,000 people died in the Battle of Zeppelino. 
with Modena losing 500 men and Bologna suffering a loss of 2,500. It was a bloody fight over nothing more than an absurd prank. Or was it? You see, that story is often told because of how unlikely it seems, and that's exactly the problem with it. It's too good to be true. Modena did take a bucket from Bologna, but that didn't spark a battle. It ended it. What had really caused the skirmish was a steady escalation of attacks on both sides. Bologna went after Modena's territory in July and August of 1325, and Modena retaliated in the fall. The two factions met in the village of Zappolino, which resided in Bolognese territory. Their armies varied wildly in size and skill. Modena may have only had about 7,000 soldiers, but they were far better trained than Bologna's massive force, which was why they were able to defeat them so swiftly. The fight lasted about two hours, and by the end, Bologna had been beaten. Modena then destroyed a sluice on the Reno River, which cut off Bologna's water supply. And then Modena left, but not before snatching the wooden bucket from a well outside the city. After all, what was Bologna going to do without water anyway? Today, a replica of the bucket hangs in the bell tower at the Cathedral of Modena. Another replica is kept under glass at City Hall. The real bucket, however, is stored deep in the basement of the cathedral. And the people of Bologna haven't stopped trying to steal it back, all these years later. Maybe they want to make their city whole again. Or maybe they're just itching for a rematch. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Halloween is considered the spookiest time of the year. Children dress up as ghouls and goblins, terrorizing their neighborhoods in search of candy. And knife-wielding mannequins wearing hockey masks adorn the lawns of homeowners looking to scare the socks off of unsuspecting trick-or-treaters. It's a fun time for everyone. Or at least it's supposed to be. The scares to be had at Halloween are meant to be harmless fun. But in 1948, one small town in Pennsylvania experienced a Halloween fright unlike any other and it killed almost two dozen people in the process. The borough of Denora sits along the western edge of the state, about 50 miles from the Ohio border. Though only two square miles in size, Denora was once the hotbed of industrial activity. It also claims Ken Griffey Sr. and Jr. as hometown heroes. The burgeoning steel, coal, and agricultural industries brought thousands of people to Denora in search of work. As of 1910, it was home to over 8,000 residents, that number almost doubled once U.S. Steel opened a zinc works facility and a steel and wire plant in 1915. But with those jobs came something else. Something deadly. It appeared over the town on October 27th of 1948, only a few days before Halloween. The annual Children's Halloween Parade was already underway, with kids of all ages dressed up marching down the main street to show off their costumes to parents and spectators lining the road. It was a yellow cloud, almost like a mist that covered everything. And unlike a morning fog, which tends to dissipate after sunrise, the sickening smog stuck around for days. The local high school football game on October 30th was almost unplayable 
with neither team throwing any passes the whole time. Someone would punt the ball or kick it across the field, and it would be swallowed by the smog. People in the stands had a hard enough time getting to the field with such poor visibility on the roads. They couldn't see anything happening on the field. Denora, by the way, lost the game 27-7. October 30th also marked the first death as a result of the smog. The victim died at Denora Hospital around 2 o'clock in the morning of acute asthma. In fact, 19 more residents, including several from the next town over, died from asthma or a related condition. The smog had made it impossible for people to breathe. Those who were still alive checked themselves into the hospital, which quickly filled up with coughing and wheezing patients. A short time later, the hospital had no choice but to turn people away. Dr. William Rongaus walked the streets with a lantern in his hand and guided ambulances to the homes where they were needed the most. Critical patients were then carefully driven back to the hospital for oxygen. Fire Department Chief Russell Davis navigated the dense cloud by scraping his wheels along the curb as he drove. Anyone who was still healthy enough to get out of Denora was encouraged to do so. Unfortunately, the haze was so thick, it was impossible for anyone to see more than a few inches in front of themselves, so driving out was out of the question. Instead, many locals just hunkered down indoors and waited it out. By Halloween day, the smog still hadn't lifted. It felt like it might never leave, and the body count was rising. Finally, just before sunset on Sunday, October 31st, the cloud suddenly disappeared just as unceremoniously as it had arrived. So, what had caused it? Well, the same zinc plant that had brought jobs to Denora had also brought a lot of pollution as well. Local farmers had actually sued U.S. Steel for killing their crops and livestock back in the 1920s, but the company had fought back and won. In October of 1948, all those zinc and metal pollutants were in the air as usual, but this time Mother Nature threw a wrench into the mix in the form of a temperature inversion. Normally, as the air rises into the atmosphere, it cools. The higher it goes, the colder that air gets. However, in a temperature inversion, a layer of cold air is covered by a layer of warm air, trapping the cold air close to the Earth's surface. For Denora, Pennsylvania, that cold air was full of toxic gases and particulates, which formed a yellow fog that covered the town. Experts believed that had the smog stuck around any longer, thousands more would have died. But despite the deaths and the toxicity of the mills, U.S. Steel was not run out of Denora. The people there depended on the company for their livelihoods. Even a government investigation refused to blame them for the 20 deaths and the 6,000 sick, instead declaring the temperature inversion as one of the main causes. The press, on the other hand, was much less forgiving. The story of the Denora smog disaster of 1948 spread far and wide. A piece was even published in the New Yorker magazine that went into detail about the ordeal Denora residents had gone through, with some subtle hints as to what really caused it. Some claim that the event kicked off the country's focus on clean air and emissions, which in turn sparked the enactment of the Clean Air Act in 1963. With a nationwide goal to reduce air pollution signed into law, the people of Denora could finally breathe a sigh of relief. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. 
I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.